This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Alex Su. Alex is the Director of Business Development at Evisort, a Series A enterprise legal technology company backed by Microsoft. Before his technology career, Alex was a lawyer at Sullivan and Cromwell, one of the world's most prestigious law firms, and was the first law clerk hired by the Honorable Edmund E. Chang, the first Asian-American federal judge in Chicago. Alex graduated from Northwestern Law in 2010, where he served on the Law Review and was elected by his classmates to be the student commencement speaker. He's also a 2005 graduate of Carnegie Mellon University, where he was the president of the Taiwanese Students Association and a charter member of Lambda Phi Epsilon, a national Asian interest fraternity. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on, Alex. Let's get started real quick. Let's dive deep into your childhood and how, Let's how, get into how it. that influenced you to become the person that you are today. Yeah, for sure. So my parents are, are immigrants um, from Taiwan. And when I was growing up, they were small business owners. Uh, my dad was a doctor and he opened his own practice in Queens, New York. And, you know, initially, as I was growing up, I, there was some, you know, influence where they wanted me to get a graduate degree, have a stable job. Um, I think my mom really wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, but, but that wasn't in the cards for me because I, I just didn't want to be a doctor. I had a lot of interests, but, but the medicine was not one of them. And uh, so as I grew up, I, had to, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And um, my parents said, okay, we'll support you in whatever you choose to do as long as you don't go off and be a lawyer, (laughs) (laughs) which is exactly what I ended up doing. Uh, I went to law school, right? And the reason why they didn't want me to be a lawyer is because they had such bad experiences with the legal system. Mm -hmm. You know, there was uh, a frivolous lawsuit here and, you know, there was just, you know, I don't know if you know, but doctors generally um, are not big fans of lawyers, especially those who go after them for medical malpractice. So um, my way of rebelling was to go to law school, which is probably unusual. But um, yeah, went off to, you know, went off to college, um, did a lot of really interesting things. I had a great experience in college, but um, I, I chose law because I really admired people who could uh, be very articulate. Uh, could speak up for themselves. And, you know, maybe it was the movies that I watched, but uh, I ended up deciding to go to law school and uh, went to law school and became a practicing attorney, which, uh, which was an interesting experience. It was a roller coaster. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, it was a, a lot of ups and downs, but uh, eventually found my way to the legal tech world, which is where I am now and where I work for Jerry Ting, uh, our co-founder and CEO at, at Evasort, who I know has been on this show before. Yeah. Oh, well, awesome for you to share your childhood. We love it. Out of curiosity, you know, we watch a lot of your TikTok episodes on TikTok. Huge fans, by the way. You guys should check mm-hmm. Alex out. Um, so did you imagine yourself to be where you are today 10 years ago? And how has that changed throughout the years? I never imagined it. Um, 
I, I always thought when I went to law school that I would become a serious lawyer because that's what the successful lawyers in my field look like, right? They, they're very buttoned up, they're very serious, and uh, they, they all kind of act and talk a certain way. I knew it wasn't in my personality, but I thought, well, this is what you do when you grow up. And maybe I should take it back a little bit because when I was in college, I, I did a lot of things in college that not for professional reasons, but because I enjoy them. And a, a lot of them related to content creation. So I had this thing called the Zanga. I don't know if you all are familiar with the Zanga. One of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. You got to explain what Zanga is to our listeners. Oh, right. Know. Yeah. We have a lot of younger generation. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of things in the past that, that I'll probably bring up. I'm 37, so I've seen a couple of things. But Zanga back in when I was in college, I was in college from 2001 to 2005. Uh, it, was, it was a content platform to let people blog and share their thoughts. So this was very early days before Facebook. And Zanga was my way of kind of getting myself into the world because I got Zanga my freshman year of college. And I used it as a way to create content for fun, but also to kind of build my personal brand. Um, I was very interested in becoming popular. Uh, I wanted to throw house parties and did all this fun stuff, but um, Zanga was a great way for me to connect with people. And so I was constantly producing original content on Zanga. Um, and again, this was like 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, very early days. Uh, and so I knew I had this knack, right, for creating content because I, I, would, write, I would write up posts and they would, they would just go viral among the community at, at my college. And so I always had a, had a talent for that. And I always thought it was a toy. It was kind of like a, a fun thing you do that's not related to your professional life. But as I'll, I'll tie it back later, but it's, it's, it's become very relevant to my life right now, my professional life. But you, I did that. And then I did Facebook, right? Facebook came out with notes. You, you were able to build your own profile and share your thoughts and write funny comments and things like that. And I, I think a lot of your, you know, your listeners are probably going to, maybe some of them will be familiar with, with Facebook, uh, Facebook's content platform called Notes. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, I just always created blogs. I, uh, I just created a lot of content over the last uh, you know, 10 years, 15 years, because it was my hobby. I really enjoyed doing it. I thought I was good at it. And it just, people encouraged me. Mm-hmm. So, so that was me until about, I would say a few years ago, I started putting out original content on LinkedIn, um, which as you know, as, as many of your, your listeners know, LinkedIn is a professional social media platform where people are kind of talk about work and serious things. And so I started to, during COVID, I started to branch off into new ideas. I started off by posting pretty typical posts. Then I started talking about my career stories and my career journey, moving from lo- being a lawyer to moving into the tech world, doing sales. And then I started making these videos poking fun at lawyers because I sold to lawyers. I marketed to lawyers. I'm a lawyer. I made these videos that, that would be funny to lawyers because I made fun of them. And then somebody said to me, hey, you should try out this thing called TikTok because mm-hmm. you can actually make the videos more easily. So I was like, oh, I'll try it out. Um, and, and so I posted a few videos on there and my fourth video went massively viral. Uh, it was a video about uh, an interaction between a paralegal and a first-year associate and a first-year associate, a uh, first-year lawyer, not really respecting the paralegal. Um, I guess a lot of paralegals liked it. A lot of lawyers liked it. They thought it was funny. It went viral. And so this, this TikTok account I had 
that had no followers. Uh, I picked up about 8,000 followers almost overnight. Wow. And the, the, the video ended up being viewed by 2 million people, which is more viral than anything I've ever done before. So uh, this is my long-winded story and explanation for why, how I got on TikTok. And you know, today I, I make TikToks and I um, share them obviously on the platform, but I also download them and share them on LinkedIn, where they become a very important part of my uh, personal marketing uh, and, and, and marketing and branding for my, for my company, mm-hmm. uh, Evisort. Um, because it's a really good way to get in front of our potential buyers, people who want to buy the technology that we make. It's a great way to market. Um, but, but this hobby has become part of my job. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. awesome to hear. Wow. And I, sorry. Oh, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. I do want to talk a little bit more that you touched upon, you know, the importance of having a personal brand. And I think that nowadays, especially anything that you decide to do, your personal brand will carry a lot of weight and I think that little did you know, like 15 years ago, like what you're doing, it's like there's books written on personal branding right now. It's so important. And for our listeners who are listening, like, you know, when you start a company or when you work at various companies, you should always find time to focus on who, what makes you, you like what makes you unique and what your personal brand is, you know, because that personal brand that you have under your name and your face and your voice and your uniqueness, and no one can ever take that away from you, you know? And I just want to touch upon that real quick. Yeah, that's amazing, Alex. I just wanted to touch on, oh, and also for our listeners, you can find Alex on TikTok. His handle is Legal Tech Bro, and he has almost 26,000 followers, which is amazing. And, you know, we know that you started off on LinkedIn and you were posting content on LinkedIn and then transitioned into TikTok. You're still doing LinkedIn. Um, and I was listening to other podcasts for, with you as well. And you mentioned that you like doing controversial videos, which is most likely the reason why they blow up so big. Right. And so do you ever feel like you can post more content on TikTok that are controversial that you can't post on LinkedIn? 100% Maggie. Like <laughs> that is what I like about TikTok is that you can try a lot of things. And, and the secret to the content game is you want to be authentic and you want to also try post as many things as possible because you don't really know what's going to resonate with people until you put it out there. And so I've put out some stuff on TikTok that I would die if it went up on my LinkedIn, right? <laughs> but, but, but it's fun and it's an exploration and it's, I think it's skill building. Um, and and to, to Brian's point, this is super important for your brand building because you're not trying to brag. You're not tr- brand building is not about bragging. It's about showing, showcasing your unique personality that that many of us, you know, young Asian American professionals, we've been taught that you got to hide it. You got to control it. You got to be neutral. You got to be professional. But, but these things that make us very weird and quirky, um, a lot of people can love it. Like they resonate with it. And so by, by being a little weird, by being a little aggressive in what I post on TikTok, it's brought me closer to so many people, um, which by the way, has led to um, more leads and more revenue closed for my day job. Wow. But certainly it's not the only reason why, it's not the main reason why I do it. I do it because I enjoy doing it. I think it's fun to go on TikTok and basically make fun of all of the old serious partners that I used to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what I do it for. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's really, I think one thing to point out too, you know, when you were in, in a uh, big law, I'm sure you had to do a lot of cold calls, right? But now, now that you're, you know, transitioning into legal tech and you're getting into LinkedIn and TikTok and everything like that, people are actually coming to you now. Right. So it's like personal branding is so big and it's so powerful. Yeah. Out of curiosity too, like, have you always been really comfortable putting yourself out there? 
because when we talk to other Asian Americans or even like any Asian Australian or Canadian people out there, there's always a sense of, of like, I don't know if I should put myself out there. I don't want to be so visible. Um, how do you overcome these, these mental blocks for yourself? Mm-hmm. I wasn't always comfortable with it. Um, that's why for the most part, those early days when I was on Zanga and Facebook, these were, these were um, platforms where I put myself out to only my friends. Yeah. I was okay with that. I think that I've always been okay with. But to put it out into the world, it was always very scary to me. And I have a few thoughts on that. And I think part of it is because of what you're told. To be a professional, you have to be kind of vanilla. You have to have a bland personality. And so I think a lot of people are scared, not just for themselves, but for what that would do to their job or their job, you know, what their bosses would think. And so there's a lot of things in there that, that come into play. So what I found is that there are certain types of jobs and there are certain types of industries and certain types of roles that are more, that more enable you to put yourself out there. Tech, um, smaller companies, those are that, that type of place is, is going to always be more encouraging of you putting yourself out there because um, these, you know, an early stage startup company, it's trying to get its name out and it'll be accept it'll accept any way that that's done. Whereas if you work for IBM and, and Brian, I know you work for IBM. I work for <laughs> IBM. We know how it is there. That is not what they're into. They're not trying to, they're not trying to get their name out. Everyone knows who they are. Right. So, so, so as you get older in your, in your, in your career, as you kind of progress, you want to figure out, well, okay, is personal branding going to be a big part of my game about, of my career growth? If it is, you want to seek out those industries or those uh, job uh, types or, or companies that are going to be supportive of that. And I'll tell you, um, Jerry Ting, the, the, our CEO at Evasort, we've talked about this. He is super hundred percent behind uh, my efforts to do this. Whereas, you know, I've, I've, you know, if you can think of like working at a law firm, they're always going to be like, Hey, you should probably not do so much social media. Yeah. So, so it's a very different feel. So I would say that that's given me a lot of uh, confidence to put stuff out. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. That's amazing. And so since posting all these TikTok videos and I, you know, the first time that we saw your video on TikTok, we actually scrolled past your video and you were talking about legal tech. And the first thing I thought of was Evasort. <laughs> the because first, of Jerry. <laughs> because, yeah, because you said AI contract management software, yeah. the first thing I thought about was Evasort and Jerry. And I was like, maybe he works at Evasort. And I saw your, your shirt that said Evasort. I was like, aha, he does. <laughs> so I think that's amazing. And, you know, since posting on TikTok, do you feel like more people have found out about Evasort and your company? Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll say that um, I've been on TikTok for about two months now, and I'm still curious about who's out there. A lot of people ask me questions about Evasort, about legal tech. I do think that, that that demographic on TikTok is a little bit younger, but it's changing rapidly these days. There's a lot of executives, uh, chief of legal, law firm partners we want to get in front of. Um, but Social media generally, the exciting part about social media, and obviously it's a mixed bag because sometimes you can get too addicted to social media, especially if you're a content consumer, it can be very addicting. But if you're a producer, it's incredible because you get such great reach. Um, so, so I put up a video, right? Um, yesterday, I, I spent some time just kind of throwing together, slapping together a video. And by this morning, 100,000 people have viewed it. There's very few places where you can get that kind of reach. And even if 99% of the people out there 
are not people you want to get in touch with, who you don't really care to introduce your product to, that still leaves 1%. And 1% of 100,000 is, is a 1,000 people. And I, I can't imagine how I would get in front of 1,000 people today. If you didn't give me social media, what am I going to do? Make 1,000 phone calls? Like that's, it's going to be very hard. And so uh, to answer your question, it's, it's really been uh, helpful to, to get the word out about Evisort, about what we do here. Mm. And, and also I would say LinkedIn as well, because LinkedIn is a little bit different in TikTok in that the reach is a little bit lower, but the people on, on, on LinkedIn are, you can see their job titles and you can see, you know, I have a lot of connections who are heads of legal, general counsels, chief legal officers, like you know that it's an executive audience. And so that's why you got to control and modulate your content depending mm. on which audience uh, you're, you're trying to target. Definitely. And to, co- to elaborate more on, you know, TikTok, I mean, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, TikTok's just for kids. Like, how can you generate leads from that? Can you talk about how you, how you built your sales funnel through TikTok? Because I think that's super valuable for a lot of us to hear. Yeah, I have a unique approach that may change by the time this podcast is published, but I'll tell you, I'll share it right now just because I think it can be helpful for so many people. Uh, as Maggie alluded to earlier, my TikTok is my lab. It's the place where I experiment and try weird things. And I wait and I see what kind of reaction people will have. And, and, and it's not just view counts and comments and likes. Um, I also have a link in my TikTok that asks people to fill out a Google form to introduce themselves so I can understand who's watching. And I found, I've been very surprised and that, that a lot of the people who watch are older professionals. They're not kids. Now, occasionally, I think when a post goes viral, that's more kind of a general topic. Maybe it's a younger group that comes in and I've detected some patterns with who comes and watches my stuff. But when I do the legal focused TikToks, the view counts are lower, but the quality of the people are higher because they work for law firms, they work for legal departments, they're in legal tech. And so I think that over the last six to 12 months, we've seen a change, right? Of people on TikTok. I think a year ago, it was a lot of younger people using it for fun. I've seen a lot of lawyers now go on TikTok to do marketing. I've seen other B2B companies uh, be on TikTok. And I've witnessed um, leads come in. Like So I about a, a couple of weeks ago, I had a sales call where I spoke with um, a gentleman who was the director of operations at a company. And I, I was introduced to him. And then he said, I'm really glad you're on this call, Alex. And I'm like, first of all, no one's ever, no one ever says that they're really glad to see a salesperson on the call. So I was like, <laughs> you have my attention now, right? Uh, and then second, he was like, he, he talked like he knew me. And I was like, how do you, like, do we know each other? And yeah. he said, I saw that TikTok that you put up on LinkedIn. So it was, it was, it was one that succeeded on TikTok that I put on LinkedIn. He's like, I saw that TikTok. And I was like, well, we're looking for contracts, uh, technology solutions. So I figured we should set up a demo with your company. And wow. it just so happened that it got to me. But these are the paths, right? Um, um, content is a way to provide a magnet for buyers to reach you instead of you, uh, what we'll call push marketing, you know, where you kind of try to go out there and, and push your message on the people. It's pull. Mm-hmm. And while pulling can be challenging because you don't have a predictable system for figuring out leads, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing because the reach is high. It works while you sleep. Like when I'm sleeping, it's still being brought out, uh, the, the content. And it also allows buyers a better experience because they will reach out to you when the time is right for them, not when the time is right for you as a salesperson. Mm -hmm. So, so there is a funnel, but I would also see it as not a funnel, but also a journey, like the buyer's journey, right? A buyer is trying to 
be entertained, be educated. And when they see this content, they start, they know you now and they will reach out to you when the time is right. So, so it's been a learning experience for me. That's how the funnel works. Mm -hmm. And I layer this on it for my, you know, just to kind of tie it back to my day job. I still do cold calls. I still do cold emails. I still do the traditional ways of reaching out to people, but this is just a, a, a kind of a, uh, a secret sauce, a, a kind of magic pill to get even more leads in um, that can be helpful. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And so we know that you went into legal space after a traditional private firm. We have a lot of people in AHN who are in law or trying to get into legal tech. And Brian always talks about, you know, he has a lot of uh, lawyer friends who don't want to be in big law anymore. And they want to tra- tra- transition. They're about, they're about done. <laughs> yeah, they want to transition into a non-legal career. And that's exactly what you did. Can you talk a little bit about what that transition process was like for you? And when was that you know, point in time where you were like, okay, I think I'm done with big law. I want to transition into like a non-legal career. I, I do want to touch, uh, I do want to touch yeah. on the emotional side as well. Like yeah. what, were you, what were you feeling emotionally at the time that led to this decision? Because, you know, originally you were living in New York with your wife mm-hmm. and you decided to uproot everything and move to San Francisco. You know, what was yeah. that emotional drive that yeah. propelled you to take so much action to do something about it? Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear that a lot of lawyers are unhappy with their jobs. Uh, I was as well. Uh, A lot of lawyers are. Um, And, you know, it was really a journey for me because, so I went to law school. I wanted to be a lawyer primarily based on what I saw on TV and what I didn't know any lawyers. You know, I, I came from an immigrant family. We didn't know any lawyers. I thought that being a lawyer was something entirely different than what it ended up being but I was successful at it. And I made my way into a structured environment where I just hated my job, like a big law firm where I hated my job. And so to, to kind of, um, for me to, um, get over that, I started working on volunteer projects. I I did things on the side, right? Um, I, I started volunteering for local campaigns because I love politics and I wanted to support Asian Americans who were really coming up at the time in New York in the political scene uh, there was a guy named Kevin Kim. He's a, uh, he, he ran for city council. Uh, he was a lawyer like me, very similar background. Uh, I think he was a Korean American guy. Um, there was also Grace Meng, who um, is now uh, uh, the first, I think, Asian American congresswoman from New York. Um, she's, she's been in, in, in office for a while. So I volunteered with those campaigns. And I remember the first time I walked into Grace Meng's uh, campaign office, I thought, well, here I am a lawyer. I'm going to do something very um, brainy, something intellectual. I'm going to write a paper, do policy. And I remember her campaign manager was like, look, Alex, we're, we're glad for your help, but we don't need help with that. <laughs> we need somebody, we need somebody to do field operations. I'm like, okay, field operations. That sounds cool. What's that? And they're like, we need somebody to knock on doors and make cold calls. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, not exactly what I wanted to do and what I signed up for, but I'll I'll do it, right? Because because this is I feel passionate about it. So, I, I I did that job, and and by the way, I'd done cold calling jobs before. Um, in college, I did the alumni fundraising job. Um, oh, I have, a, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys had that experience, but it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good experience. I'll just say that, right? Because you learn how to take rejection, and then my buddy, um, I, I, one of my best friends from high school, uh, ran a mortgage company, and I. I tried working for him one summer just, just to see what it was like. And I just cold called, tried to sell mortgages, but I didn't like that. I, I couldn't do it. So I was a little bit nervous, but I found that when I worked for um, someone who I believed in, uh, a cause I believed in, I was exceptional at cold calling and door knocking. Like I was able to just really, really get aggressive and, 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 and make a lot of calls. So 
this was probably around the time I was a junior lawyer. I was volunteering on political campaigns on the side and I knew that I was good at calling and I, uh, I knew that I, I had this um, ability to persuade people because I look back on my career and all of the, all of the times, all of the big opportunities I received, the firm I worked at, the judge I clerked for, um, you know, I was a commencement speaker at, at graduation. I have this ability to, to reach out to people and persuade them to do things. Um, it's a kind of a, a, the reason why I wanted to be a trial lawyer. It's also the reason why I'm a salesperson today. But, but I think the advice is really to try something different because those side projects, those volunteer opportunities will teach you a lot about what you're talented at. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you find something you're talented at, make the move with that information and don't be afraid to start at the bottom. And I think here's where it got really challenging, right? Because I knew this, I had this talent. And when I joined the legal tech scene, I didn't join in as a VP. I didn't join in as a director. Mm-hmm. I joined in as an entry level salesperson at the age of 33, mm-hmm. six years out of law school where I was very successful. And they were like, okay, why don't you take this phone and just make hundreds of calls? Like, this is what we want you to do. And I'm like, I'm, do you know who I am? Like, yeah. I'm a fancy pants lawyer, right? Yeah. And I was, I was, you know, my managers were younger. They were, and they all, you know, they all fit a certain mold in tech sales. You know, you typically have these sales bros. And I felt like I, I didn't really fit in. I was really smart, but all these people were like higher than me on the, uh, on the company. And I was like, did I really go to law school and, and work that hard so I could just make cold calls? Like, how do I how do I explain this to my parents? How do I explain this to my wife? How do I explain this to my friends? And my friends pulled me aside and they said, Hey, Alex, look, sales is hard. If this doesn't work out, like, don't blame yourself. Like they were, they were, they were trying to warn me that, that, that sales is actually very difficult, especially for just anybody. Mm-hmm. But I was here, I was like a, 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 a in my, in my, in my early thirties, starting over against these, you know, what had in the past been successful salespeople. They were these young guys who played college sports. They're all white men and, you know, all up the org chart, the VPs of sales, like they're all, that's what they all look like. And so I really, you know, I had some, a little bit of self-doubt. Um, I think it was helpful that I had a lot of experiences dealing with setbacks and um, um, overcoming setbacks, but it was hard. Um, and it was hard, not just because the job was hard, but it was hard to explain to people. Uh, my very well-meaning family and friends who are like, Alex, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why are you starting, why, why are you starting over like this? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that was me in the beginning of legal tech. And uh, I ended up doing really well because I, I picked a job that was based on my strengths, not based on what was prestigious, what my family wanted me to do, what other people wanted me to do. I did what I enjoyed and what I thought was good at. And, and it led to a lot of success to the point where now people ask me like, you know, how do I get myself into your position? And it's hard, right? Because I don't have a formula, but I can, all I can say is that if, if you don't, if you know what you're good at and what your talents are, just mm-hmm. move in that direction, even if it means you have to start over. So that's the advice I would give. Um, I, I, a lot of people ask me about it. I, don't, I have no prescribed formula for you. All I can say is figure out where your strengths are mm-hmm. and what your weaknesses are and just go where your strengths are valued and your weaknesses don't matter. And don't be afraid to start from the bottom because you'll grow very fast. I love that so much. That's really good advice. And I think that a lot of people get turned off if they have to like start from the bottom again. And, you know, they probably have the same perspective as you do. Like, do you know who I am? Like you're asking me to do this kind of job when I already have so much experience, but you really just have to take a step back and, you know, really trust the process. And that's exactly what you did. I I feel, I feel you in that. I mean, I have started over (laughs) myself. That's, 
it's not the best feeling, but it's also the greatest feeling because mm-hmm. the greatest joy that I can ever do is being a student again and being passionate about this new path you're, you're embarking, you know? Because when people look at their lives, they look at it in a very short term. It's like, how's my life looking in the next three to five years? Mm-hmm. When you look at your life holistically, you know, honestly, if we continue working, we can go past 65, 70, 80. You know, that means that this 40, 50 more years to make an impact. So why are you dreading over a couple of years? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, like in a, in a long scheme of things, it's so insignificant. You know, your happiness and your mental health is more important than ever. Yeah, I think a lot of people stick with the timeline for their life and they mm-hmm. feel like they have to like absolutely stick to it. And if it, if it goes off track, like nothing's going to work out. But yeah, we have you, friends like that. <laughs> you have to, yeah, you have to think holistically. And I know you mentioned like you don't have one specific formula of like how you got to the position where you are at now. But I do have a question about like the demographic, you know, when you were first starting out in sales and you were surrounded by all these, you know, white men who are already very experienced in sales. Can you explain, you know, if you have any advice on how Asians can work towards getting promoted to higher positions and top management roles. Yeah, because that is one of our core values of Asian Hustle Network is we want more Asians to hire investment corporate ladders. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a bamboo ceiling that whether we like or not has always been there and will continue being there till we hear from people like yourselves trying to break through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I've experienced it. Um, Obviously being in law and in sales, these are positions that you know, typically a lot of white men are in higher positions. And the advice I would give is there's a few, there's a few pieces, right? I think there's a couple of themes. The first is the culture of the organization. I have found that smaller companies are less political because if you can't produce and they promote people who don't produce people, you know, presumably who, who seem to be very good in boardrooms, but can't produce results. Um, that company is going to die. And so I think smaller entrepreneurial organizations provide more of an opportunity for you to get promoted. My first legal tech job, I was promoted probably twice every year. Um, in the three years I was there, it was very, very fast moving. Um, and, and it's because had they not done that and I left, then they just lose the value of me as a, as a very strong producer. And, and the company might be hurt, right? So I think a smaller company and, and having a good culture, good organization culture, it's not just about you know what leadership looks like, although it does matter, right? If the execs all are white men, there's a like high likelihood that um, that's not the culture that can enable you to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to look at the leadership and the culture. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I've always been a fan of being in a role that's connected to revenue. Um, being connected to revenue gives you a lot of opportunities. So I think a lot of, for example, a lot of Asian Americans I've noticed, um, want to take more of a support role or a service role thinking that, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with being connected to revenue, like quotas or having to close deals, the pressures of sales, Mm -hmm. but there's another pressure, right? If you, if you provide a service and you're not connected to revenue, your life will always be challenging. I'll tell you in tech companies, the salespeople always have a better work-life balance and make more money than the people providing customer support. It's just the way it works because connect, being connected to revenue means you're connected to one of the highest goals, maybe the highest goal of a company. And so it does come with pressures. It does come with some downsides. But I think, you know, if, if you are, you're able to do that, if you're able to take that pressure, you're going to find yourself being promoted much more quickly 
your income will grow much more quickly than if you take on um, kind of like a support role. So, so I would say my, 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 yeah, my, my second piece of advice is make sure that you're, you stay connected to revenue. Awesome. And then the third, um, and this is one where, so, so the first two, I think I've done a reasonably good job at. The third is where I've, I've had more challenges and it's a growth area for me is to find a, an internal sponsor or mentor who will basically place a bet on you to move up. Mm-hmm. And this is very true in law firms and professional services firms. It's also true in tech companies and startups, but you need to have somebody in power invest in you. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the reason why we, we, we lack diversity in tech in, in the tech field and a lot of companies is because it's not because these white men are getting together and saying, let's like create a club and block out everyone, but it's because they, they mentor and sponsor and support people who remind them of themselves and so it's not a mystery to me that I've done so well at a company like Evasort um, where the CEO, mm-hmm. a couple of the board members, we've got directors and you know, folks here who are Asian American. And that way I'm not worried. I'm not always worried that, oh, do I need to overcome this stereotype that I can't sell? Well, they always think that I'm the math guy, the IT guy, which is a real problem. There's people like, like Jerry has always watched out for me. And so I think that if you want to succeed, you need to have someone in leadership to watch out for you and, and to mentor you and sponsor you. So, so I would say those are the three ways um, that, that you can really overcome that bamboo ceiling. Well, that, that's really, really good advice. Like I had to take some notes in between because I'm like, wow, that's you're absolutely right. I mean, it really did open my, my mind that, you know, people as humans, we want to mentor people that look like us, sound like us, remind them of us, you know, and unfortunately, it's just, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but like a broken structure, whereas like, because we're not the same, because we historically have been considered like, you know, not American or like not within this country. So that's also creating more barriers for us to get to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I, I do want to circle back on the conversation about mental health and happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, we heard so much about your transition and your abilities to, to succeed in a new role. But we also want to understand, like, was there a series of events that happened that led up to you being extremely unhappy with your, your, with your current position that led you to create a 100% career change, start over again? And on top of that, we also want to touch upon the mental health aspect of creating content. You know, that takes a, it takes a huge toll on you because now you're addicted to the metrics, the analytics, the numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, how have you coped with both sides as you're, as you're growing throughout your career? Brian, these are great questions. And I feel like you're asking the questions that I would ask myself, right? Because they're so relevant. Why did I leave law to, to do sales and start from the bottom? And you're right that there was, there was a lot of challenges. And I didn't, you know, the first time I thought about leaving law was... I was like, ah, no, that's not, that's not what I want to do. I want to stay in law. I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave. I thought that I would, things would get better if I switched firms. So I, so I left a big law firm. I went to a smaller firm. Things didn't get better. And then it wasn't until I, I started my own business. I opened my own law practice. Um, that's when I realized um, that, that I should be focused on, on, um, on, on doing something that was more connected to sales than connected to law. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm telling you right now that I've switched jobs a couple of times, but during that time, it was very challenging because I started thinking questions like, I've been a successful person. I'm now doing things that a successful person would not do. Right. I saw other people doing well. I saw other people getting promoted, making money, 
getting all the great jobs. Meanwhile, I'm like going from job to job. And I remember, I remember thinking this, telling my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, I think that maybe I'm not the type of person that does well at a, at a company. I'm not a good employee. Like my experiences at IBM, my experiences at, uh, the, at the big law firm made me believe that I was not a good employee. Mm-hmm. That was just part of my personality. So I should start my own business, which is what I did. I started my solo practice and, you know, I eventually had to close it down because it, it, it failed. Um, I couldn't get enough revenue. I realized that I enjoyed um, sales and marketing, but, but actually servicing the clients, that was a little bit more challenging for me. And I was thinking, you know, what am I doing here? Like, I've, I'm at a point where I'm, 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 I have a practice, a law practice that's taking cases that I, that I never imagined I'd be taking. And it's not great. Um, I'm not making money. Maybe it's time for a start, a new start. And, and so um, when I talk on some podcasts or when I, when I, when I talk to, to younger lawyers, I have a narrative. I say, you know, I tried different jobs. It wasn't right for me and I started over. But the truth is I felt like I was failing, to, from, failing to, from job to job. And it wasn't until I struck this legal tech space that at the time when I joined legal tech, it was not a thing. It's still kind of small now, but it's growing so fast. Um, but at back then, nobody knew about it. And it was very hard for me to explain to anybody, let alone myself, that this was the right thing that I should be doing. But I had already failed at several things. And I was like, all right, well, my once very nice resume is now messed up. I've got failures left and right. What's, what's, what's the harm in, in, in failing again? So I could run off and, and, you know, kind of be a little bit reckless and join legal tech and, and kind of go with my career hunch. Mm-hmm. That's what, that, that was the real change. And, and that's why it's like, I get messages from lawyers all the time saying, tell me about the structure that you followed to, to make yourself happy and find the right role for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, yeah. you haven't earned it until you've, you've failed again and again. And you think, what the hell am I doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, that is, I think, um, for me, um, a, 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 an important part of, of transformation is, is that failure. And it comes with a lot. And, and I, I know, Brian, you know, you've dealt with your own setbacks before and you've overcome them. You know that when you're going through it, it's not like, oh, everything will work out fine. When you're going through the midst, it ain't easy. You're just stressing out left and right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you're always putting one foot in front of the other. And today we're talking about TikTok and my success with social media, but, but that was just a surprise. That was just a, an unexpected upside of, of being in sales in, in, in an early stage startup. Like I could never have predicted that this would happen, but it's now happened. And so that would encourage people to, to try things, you know, to, 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 to go and go out and fail because you might hit on something that does as well as you expect, but it actually might surprise you and turn out better than you expected. Um, and, and that kind of leads me to my second point, which I know your, your other question was, how do you handle um, mental health and, and social media? I'll tell you, um, if you treat social media like a job, you can get a lot of results and, and not have it take over your life. But it does require you to be super disciplined. And so um, my, my journey really on LinkedIn started about a year ago when one of my posts went viral and collected a million views. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, well, I really want to triple down on this. Yeah. And what, what's not going to work is if I just kind of try to do this sporadically, like every so often, I need to have a system. So I told myself I'd post one post per day and I would write them on the weekends or nights and pre, um, you know, pre-queue them. 
And that way it would not interfere with my, my work life, my personal life. And for the most part, I was successful. And, and over time though, I think it, it became a challenging and it came to a point where I was kind of le- le- a little bit less disciplined and I needed to take a step back and say, okay, am I doing social media because I just want the attention or is it serving a greater goal in my life? Mm-hmm. And so when I realized that um, I was kind of at some point was just getting a lot of engagement just for the sake of getting engagement. I scaled back my production of content to, to less frequent and higher, higher quality. Like what I, what I could tell, like I, I put more effort into each individual post and did less frequency. Mm-hmm. And um, I found that um, even though overall likes and views went down, the type of people I was trying to get uh, in touch with, uh, the quality was increasing. It was providing, it was, it was not impacting um, my leads. I was still getting business out of it. I just wasn't getting, you know, those, those strangers to like my content. So, so I think to balance it, you really always have to remember what are your goals? Why are you doing this? Like it can be easy to fall into the trap of getting addicted to the likes. And I've, you know, I've been guilty of that before as a content creator, because it makes you feel like the more likes you get, the better your, better your content is. It's like the world telling you that it's good which is true um, to some extent, but you don't want to overdo it because if you overdo it, then you're just getting, you're trying to collect likes and followers for the sake of likes and followers. And I tell you, that's not a good path to go down. Right, Mm -hmm. right. So, so important. Yeah, we see that all the time on TikTok. You know, you have users who just post quantity over quality and you do get, you know, likes and comments and stuff like that, but it's not sustainable. You know, or more on the X-rated side of things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Just trying to sell their bodies for likes and comments and approval and that's not the way to go. And you bring up a really valid point too. Like, ask yourself, what kind of message are you trying to make by making your videos, you know? Yeah, it's whatever we notice, like Alex, like whenever you post a video, it always has a purpose. You know, it has always a story Mm -hmm. to it. It's not like you getting on to stage in like a mini skirt and shaking your body. (laughs) You know, there's always like a theme to it. And it's like very humorous that connects to your uniqueness, your experiences that also links back to your own professional career, too. So we really love that. Yeah, and I'm very curious, um, you know, you have a family, you have a wife, you have a kid. How do you find time out of your day and how do you manage your time and, you know, just make sure that you're utilizing your time correctly because, you know, TikTok takes a lot of time, you know, as we know. And the amount of, cons- like, video consumption you have yeah, to make in exactly. TikTok to just, keep up with the trends. Exactly. And so I'm very curious, you know, how do you, what, what is your day-to-day routine like every day? Yeah, I don't have a routine, and um, I think that the 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 way that I've been able to do it is, uh, like I said, I, I have some strengths. I, I have been a content creator for a long time, so I, I don't. I probably don't need to absorb as much from TikTok as perhaps other people do because um, I kind of understand the themes of of what I you know I'm going to create legal content, and I know how to how to stay within those confines. If I were to make content. Um, like a comedian or somebody in the medical field, I would need to take up a lot more time to do that. And so um, I would say that um, if you post about what you know, it's going to be a lot more efficient. Um, some, of the, some of the videos that I make seem like they would take a long time, but they really don't because, uh, and this is the other reason why. Um, well, first, it's because I post only on things I know about and I can speak to. But second, um, the way that I developed video making skills and everything I think is, is skills. Like I don't think that anybody should think of content or TikToks or LinkedIn or Twitter or anything as an asset, but you should think of it as a skill because a skill stays with you. 
we don't know what's going to happen to the algorithms. We don't know what's going to happen to the platforms. I had a Vine account five years ago. Vine is gone, right? And so uh, it's the skill that matters. And that's why I think when you make videos, I mean, it's sure it's fun, but just remember that you're always, you're trying to up-level your skills and, and, and understanding the patterns. And so I started my skill development during the depths of COVID. Mm-hmm. When COVID hit, I had a lot of free time. I mean, I didn't have a ton of free time because I have a family, but I had enough free time because my work had slowed down um, because we weren't sure what was going to happen. And so instead of kind of just watching TV or I don't really watch TV, I don't watch movies. I don't, I spend all of my time thinking, what does the, what, what can I make? Mm-hmm. And so during that time I experimented with making videos. And so I had developed the skill to the point where by the time I had got on TikTok, I already had skills. I had skills from um, creating content for all sorts of platforms for 15, 20 years. I also had six months of intense video making experience. Um, you, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I also host this monthly meetup that I used to host twice a week with mm-hmm. lawyers and law students. And so that helped me understand how to present myself through video. And so if you treat this TikTok or, or this content creation as a job, and you'll notice this theme, right? If you treat it as a job and, and are disciplined with it and treat it as a long-term uh, skill that you want to develop, I think the rewards are really, really high. Like mm-hmm. what, I'm, what I'm doing now does not take a lot of energy. It's highly scalable because um, I make one video once and it just goes and repeats and shows to everyone. But there were lots of hours and disciplined work that went into it for years uh, with no real results that I did for fun as a thing to entertain my friends. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, I would say that's the, that's how I balance it. And, and, and look, at the end of the day, I think what what TikTok and LinkedIn and social media has done is it's replaced a lot of what I used to do on making cold calls. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's replaced a lot of my outreach just because now I can have a more efficient way of doing it. Um, even when I reach out to some people, I'm also able to say, Hey, um, it's Alex from LinkedIn. They know who I am in the past. I would have to like explain myself a lot more and they would ignore me or hang up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also doing webinars for Evasort where we bring in, uh, speakers and bring in, um, basically people who we would want to sell to, they show up and then I can also choose who I can, you know, I'd like to reach out to. So mm-hmm. these things, this TikTok stuff and this LinkedIn stuff has replaced traditionally the inefficient ways of doing sales outreach for me. And that's how I've been able to juggle it. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll end off by saying this, which is it's still hard to, to balance. Like yeah. I think especially what I've learned and I'm, I'm a new father, uh, my, my, my daughter's two years old. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how other people do this, like have <laughs> jobs and also kids. Like my parents did it. I saw them do it, but now I'm just like, that was insane. Like, how do you, how do you handle that? Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's an, that's what I'm trying to learn, you know, from other people, how, how they juggle it. Uh, my wife's a doctor uh, and she works. And so she's, she's very like, I don't think we have a family where we can have one parent stay home and just watch the kid. We, we, we've got to learn how to balance it. So mm-hmm. it's an ongoing process really. Wow. Love it. it. Yeah. I mean, it just everything you said, I I think that, you know, us seeing you as who you are today, we're not seeing who you are today, but we're seeing all the fruits of your labor that was accumulated from all those years of putting in the hard work. That's what I keep telling Maggie over and over. (laughs) It's like all these successful people did not become successful overnight. Yeah. Yeah. There are some exceptions, but Mm -hmm. most of the time they're not. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have a last question for you, Alex. What advice would you give to someone who is trying to get into legal tech or just someone who's trying to build their influence on social media? 
Yeah, the first one's easier for me just because I've been living it. But, um, you know, for legal tech, if you're interested in it, you don't have to be a lawyer. Um, I do think it's a promising space that's going to grow really fast. Uh, dive in and take whatever job they're offering. And, and, and you know, I think um, by slowing down, by starting from scratch, you develop these foundational skills that will compound over time. And then when you've uh, built up that knowledge and those skills, you're going to move up very fast. So don't worry about taking a job at the bottom. So if you find an interesting company, if I, you know, I'm hoping that Evisort is it, um, you know, reach out to, uh, to me or, or Jerry or anybody else uh, on the end of the company. But I would say just make the, just, ju- just jump in. And, and my advice for, for, for content and social media is very similar. Most of the time people are afraid to put out content. They want to over, they overthink it. Um, right, right on their first post. They say, I have to put out the perfect post. Yeah. What I would encourage people to do is instead put out 20 imperfect posts. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you will see what people um, resonate with. Because I think the, 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 the thing that people don't realize about content and, and social media is that it's not about you. It's about your audience and what your audience wants. I sought out to be a, a very intellectual lawyer to write about serious subjects. And the world told me that they were not, the audience told me that they were not interested in that. What they were interested in was how did you pivot out of law? How did you find another opportunity? Um, They're interested in seeing uh, law firms and lawyers being made fun of on TikTok. And so by paying attention, paying close attention to what the audience wants, um, you can create some really compelling content that will provide you a lot of value in your life, but it's got to be about the audience first. It's not about what you want to do. And, and th- that's, that's an ongoing process that you've got to continue this conversation. You know, I, I had, um, I went in the early days when I had very limited engagement on LinkedIn, I would say, I would ask the people who constant, consistently like my stuff, Hey, can you hop on a call with me? And I would talk to them and try to understand, you know, what are you thinking? What do you worry about? What are you excited about? Like, tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I have a deep understanding of my audience, which is why I'm able to, and, and they are my core audience and which is why I'm able to branch off. And it, it was those people who told me, you need to get on TikTok. You need to keep making fun of lawyers. And that's why I keep doing it now because it's what they told me that they wanted. So mm-hmm. I think listening to your audience is super important and you can't do that until you put out a bunch of content that's going to fail. So anyways, that's my advice for, for anybody who wants to get in the game. Um, it's really interesting. It's an interesting time, but, mm-hmm. but uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity on TikTok right now. Awesome. So true, so true. And Alex, where can our listeners find out more about you online? Uh, I would recommend that you uh, reach out to me or find me on LinkedIn um, first. Um, that's where I have most of my content. Um, there's going to be a link, I think, in, in this uh, podcast show notes. Mm-hmm. But also, if you're uh, up for it, check me out on TikTok. I'm Legal Tech Bro. Um, you can just search Legal Tech Bro um, and it'll pop up my page. TikTok and LinkedIn is where I live. I have other accounts elsewhere, but um, if you want to reach out to me, those are probably the best places. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much yeah. for being on the show today, Alex. We really enjoyed it. And yeah, I can't wait to be in touch with you again soon. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much, Alex. It was amazing. Brian, yeah, Brian and Maggie, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. And I'll tell you that I've heard about you way before we first met. Um, mm-hmm. I went back and I looked. 50 of my friends are part of the Asian Hustle Network. Wow. Wow. I'm probably the 51st now. So uh, <laughs> it's an honor for you, for you to invite me onto the show. And uh, I really had a good time. It was an uh, honor having you on. Thank, thank you, Alex. Thanks. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.